So, before I get into today's message, and if you want, you could go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15. It has been years, I mean many, many years, since I have ministered uh, a, a message from this passage, but today... I, uh, I'm supposed to do that, and so we will. But I want to make a declaration of my faith today. I want to say something that is dear to me and something that I believe with all my heart, and that is this. I believe in the God who is love, the God who loves me absolutely, unequivocally, and totally, the God who loves me unconditionally. There's nothing that I could ever say and nothing that I could ever do that would make him love me any more or any less for that matter. I believe in the God who loves me eternally. This love, the love of God, will never end. Think about this. A million years from now, I will still be experiencing new depths of his love. I'll be learning of its endless power. God's love never ends fails. As the Amplified Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. And I'm so thankful for that today. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, the eyes of our heart, open up our ears to hear and help us to receive all that you have to say to us today. Lord, I present myself as your servant to command and I am a messenger for you today, and I pray that this message would come forth in power. It would come forth with boldness. It would come forth in spiritual, godly authority, that it would come forth with simplicity and accuracy. And I pray that our hearts would be tuned to hear what you're saying to us today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. You know, last Sunday we ministered about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was so blessed Sunday afternoon when Brother Ronnie Jones called me and said, I spoke in tongues today for the very first time. Hallelujah. So I don't know how many other people uh, were charged that day. You know how many other people received something extra from the Lord. But I encourage you to always look to the Holy Spirit as your helper. Always look to the Holy Spirit to empower you because he surely, surely will. Amen. Well, in Luke chapter 15, we'll begin with verse 1. We've got several verses that we're going to read, and I hope that you will uh, uh, listen attentively and and stay with us, and then we have uh, probably a brief message to share with you from it. Verse 1, then drew near unto him all the publicans, that's tax collectors, and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost." I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, and this was a special uh, symbol of marriage, 
It was involved with a wedding covenant. It would have been worn around like a headband, 10 pieces of silver. It was equivalent maybe to what we use today as a wedding ring. And so you understand that this wasn't just some loose change around the house. What woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Remember that there are two sons in this parable. We most of the time focus on the one we call the prodigal son. But there are two sons here. And by the way, while we're stopping putting this little uh, thing in parenthetically right now, uh, this parable is more about the dad than the son. It's more about the perfect father instead of the prodigal son. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise. And go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. You can tell he had it memorized, didn't he? But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry." For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the... probably heard something like going on here today. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf. Because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid. So he's a kid of the goats, you know. 
much less a calf, he's saying, that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all, everybody say all, all that I have is thine. It was meet or proper that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This whole chapter is about lost things restored. Lost things that are found. The first one, the first parable that Jesus gave was about the shepherd who went looking for one of the sheep. Hebrews 5.2 uses an interesting phrase concerning people, and it says, and basically I'm paraphrasing, that some of us were ignorant and out of the way. I've been in both of those positions, by the way. Ignorant and out of the way. It's easy to get lost. A sheep is not the smartest animal in the world. I know some of you might not realize it, but... But a pig is smarter than a sheep and tastes better too. <laughs> Just had to throw that in. <laughs> so even that which is ignorant and out of the way, there are times when it's worth saving. It's worth going after. And then the next story, the woman who searched for the lost coin, is not something that is ignorant and unable to do its own thing. It's something that's inanimate, but it is valuable, the silver coin. And you know, Jesus is responding to these Pharisees, these religious bigots and, you know, people who felt like they were better than everybody else. He's responding to their complaint that he actually would sit down and eat a meal with somebody who was not like them. And publicans or tax collectors, most of these people were Jewish people, but they were sorely hated. Remember Matthew, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, was a tax collector. Remember Zacchaeus who climbed the tree to see Jesus? He was a tax collector. These were some of the most hated people in all of the land of Israel because they collected taxes. They were the IRS of their day for Rome and of course they hated the Roman occupation they hated the Roman Caesar's rule and they hated to pay taxes and Jews who would dare to stoop so low as to collect collect taxes from fellow Jews to send to Rome well they just were kind of like the worst of the worst and so Jesus is actually um, uh, responding to their criticisms (coughs) and to their bigotry And so he's telling them how important it is to go after that which is lost. And so he shows them what you do with something that doesn't know how to care for itself that gets lost. He shows them what you do with something that's valuable, even though it has no personality, it's inanimate. But finally, and most importantly, he answers the question of what do we do with lost humans? The word lost in the connotation of church is not as often used today, I don't think, as it would have been 30 years ago or 50 or certainly 100 years ago. 
Because we live in a culture where people don't want to uh, deal with the issue that some people are going to hell. They don't have to, of course, but they are on their way. And some people are, are going to be saved. And uh, I'm talking about in the end, they will, they, will, they will make it to heaven. And people do not like to deal with those issues. They don't want anybody to say anything that would cause somebody to perhaps think that they're not saved. And so we, we are in, we're in a world today, especially in the Bible Belt and the southern part of the United States, but we have come to the place where you go to, to a, uh, a funeral, a memorial service, and have you noticed that nobody's gone to hell? I think about that old movie, some of your older kids might have seen it, you know, All Dogs Go to Heaven. I believe there's this idea that everybody's going to make it. Somehow or another, it's just going to make it. Everybody's going to make it. But the fact is, that isn't true. And I don't take joy in saying that. That's not something I delight in at all. But the fact is, there are people that unless there is repentance in their lives, unless there is a change, unless they turn to Jesus, unless their sins come under the blood, they're not going to make it to heaven. And not only that, but if you are outside of a covenant with God, there's no way you can claim those covenant blessings. Now, God makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's a certain level of blessing that comes just by living on the planet because the way God made the world and because God is so loving and kind. But the fact is, if you are not in right relationship with God, you're going to miss the vast majority of the good things that God ever has planned for you. And if you're unwilling to submit to the lordship of Jesus, and we don't like those kind of words today, but it's still true. If we're unwilling to submit to the lordship of Jesus, then we're not going to be able to walk in the favor and the blessing of God to the level that we want to. And so there are people who are lost. There are lost humans. But the whole storyline here makes it clear. They are the most valuable of anything upon the earth. People, not inanimate objects, not gold, not silver, not the things they can buy, not livestock or natural resources of any kind, whether it's property, trees, minerals, or whatever, or animals. None of that is as valuable as a person. And so Jesus takes a lot of time to talk to them about how to deal with someone that is lost, someone who has walked away from the goodness of God. And so I'm going to try to walk through this briefly, and I don't mean that as a joke. I'm not going to take all day with it, but I want to point out a few things that I think we need to see. And as we do, it just may be that somebody listening either today and here in the room or somebody who will hear this online and maybe even later on, that you might be this one of these two sons. Neither of them were great examples, were they? Both of them had a lot of changes that need to be made in their lives. You might be in one of those places. I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm not saying that because I don't love you. I'm saying that because I do love you. Because all of us can change. And then also, you might, some of you are here today and you're in the position of the father. And you've got children, grandchildren, maybe brothers, sisters, dear friends. 
that are not right with God. They've walked away from the things of God. They're making and have made some very bad decisions. And their life is reflecting those decisions. You might be uh, in, in, in that particular place. And so how do we deal with this? Let's look at the story just a little bit more. First of all, the younger son was saying to the father, basically, I wish you were dead. Because we know how inheritances work. You don't get the inheritance until the one who has made the will passes away. Well, this son said, I want mine now. So he was basically saying, or as good as saying, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. Think about that. What an insult. Those of you who are parents, can you imagine that a child would come to you and say, I, you know, I... I I wish you would go ahead and die because I really need the money. What an insult. But I want you to also notice and think about this. When he left, he left saying, give me. Give me my inheritance. And when he did and left, he unhooked from the source of his wealth. That's one of the things you need to see about this parable. When he walked away, he unhooked from the source of his wealth and his sustenance. And immediately, he began to grow poorer. Day by day by day, as he wasted the money that he had, he grew more and more poor until it was all gone. And when it was all gone, the only job left to him was feeding pigs. And maybe that doesn't uh, seem so significant unless you think about who this boy was. He was a Jewish boy. You don't eat pigs. You don't touch pigs. And you certainly don't care for pigs. And the food that he was feeding the pigs were told he would like to have eaten it, but nobody offered it to him. But the fact is, if he could have eaten it, it would have been basically undigestible for a human. He was in a horrible condition. I don't know exactly how long it took, but it seems to me in every generation, it doesn't take long to go broke if you're, if you're really bound and determined to do it. At some point, he has nothing. And the greatest insult now of his life is being reduced to being a servant of a pig farmer. And I just want to make this statement today. No matter how attractive the allurement of sin might be no matter what the devil makes it look like and how he makes it sound, no matter how attractive it looks in the beginning, you must understand that according to Jesus himself in John 10 and 10, the reason the devil comes is but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. The end of the plan of the devil is not where you want to go. Sin will always take you further than you want to go, further down, further in a bad direction than you want to go, and it will always cost you more than you ever want to pay, and it'll always take you there for longer than you would want to stay. That's the way this thing works. The devil is the enemy. Where was the father in all this? You know, I asked the question, what do we do with lost humans? Well, what do we do? Well, here's the main answer that I want to give to you, and then we're going to explain a little bit about it. We wait in faith for them to come home. 
We wait in faith for them to come home. This father who was a good father, he didn't run after the son. Do you notice that? Now, a lot of people have a problem with that. He might have had neighbors that thought, I don't understand. Why, why isn't he running that? Why didn't he send? He's got servants. He's, he's a wealthy man. Why didn't he send some kind of a private investigator? Why didn't he send somebody that could kind of shadow the boy to, you know, make sure that, you know, somehow or another he's going to get back? He didn't do that. He waited in faith for God to work and for the son to change. The father didn't run after the son seeking to compromise with his rebellious ways and attitudes. I've lived long enough to see that that never works. I've seen well-meaning, good-hearted, kind-hearted, good folks try to compromise with the rebellion of their children and try to compromise with things that they know are wrong and even the kids know they're wrong, but somehow trying to work it out because they don't want them to leave or they don't want them to be angry or they just want to try to somehow smooth it all over. It never works. We learned from uh, a great mentor in faith, Dr. Earl Roberts, many years ago, whatever you compromise to keep, you will eventually lose. Whatever you compromise righteous standards, whatever you compromise right and wrong for, that thing you compromise for, you will eventually lose it anyhow. That's the way the devil plays. The devil's the ultimate gambler. He's dealt with humans for 6,000 years. He knows all the tricks of temptation. He knows that they don't always work, but he knows many times they do, and so he keeps coming again and again and again. And one of the big things he wants to get us to do is to compromise. Now, the boy was already compromised. He was already uh, down about as low as you could go. So the father didn't seek to compromise. He didn't violate the son's free will. You see, we have to learn as believers, whether we're talking about parents, grandparents, friends, brother-in-laws, or brothers-in-law, sisters-in-law, or whether we're talking about uh, marriage, spouses, you have to understand that we are not the Holy Ghost for other people. It's not my job to lead. It's not my job to convict. It's not my job to be, try to be the Holy Spirit to anybody. That is not my job. And of course, this is very difficult when you're emotionally invested. This, this man would have, would have considered this, this younger son one of the most precious things in his life. He only had two sons. These were the most precious people in his life. And, and uh, uh, he would have been greatly invested emotionally. But he resisted the temptation to try to interfere with the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you in that regard. You need to pray over these things. And you need to know that there's a line you shouldn't cross. If you want God to do his work... There are things you can't help him with. There are some things you have to let him do. Now, I want to say something else. Because going back to where we started in the 15th chapter of Luke, Jesus was answering these people who said, Why do you associate with? Why do you, would you sit down and have a meal with somebody that's a tax collector or somebody that is a sinner? Now, notice they didn't say, Why did you get drunk with those people last night? Because he didn't. 
They didn't say, why did you throw away your relationship with God to just go hang out with the sinners? Because that's not what Jesus did. That's not what he did. This passage is not about becoming worldly in order to win the world. Now, there's that thought, not necessarily spoken that plainly, but that thought is in the modern American church of today, that we just kind of don't need to push the envelope about sin and unrighteousness. We don't really want to talk about judgment or hell. We don't want to talk about holiness. We don't want to talk about those things because there's so many people that would be offended by that. We're in a new day. We're in a modern era. We're in a time when people don't want to hear about that. If we could just get them to church and then, you know, and sometimes the whole attitude with certain ministry leadership uh, models is we'll get them in no matter what we have to do, almost by hook or by crook, we get them in and, uh, you know, then we're going to get them changed. And of course, I've observed this kind of thing now for a long time as a pastor, an interested party in seeing what's going on. And I don't see that happening. People are not changing if they're not convicted of the Spirit. This young boy in the hog pen needed to change. He didn't need his dad to come down and say, I just bought 50 pigs and I've come to join you. Let's wallow in the mud together. That's not what was going on. This passage isn't about becoming worldly in order to win the world. It's not about compromising with people who don't love the Lord and don't know God and don't want to live for God. You say, don't you love everybody? We love everybody. But not everybody's godly. They could be. God wants them to be. But they choose not to be. And, it, and this whole story is not about compromising with ungodly people in order to be accepted by them. We cannot win a culture by becoming like the culture. You can't. You will not win the culture we live in by becoming like it. I hope you looked in the mirror before you came today. Looks like most of you did. (laughs) You know what a mirror does, don't you? It just shows you what's there. When I look in the mirror, I'm disappointed. It just shows you what's there. And what happens when the church does not stay with the word and stay with the move of the spirit and stand firm on the convictions of the word and the gospel, what happens is we tend to just mirror the culture instead of painting a picture of change for the culture. A mirror, a reflection, does not change anything. So we have to paint a picture of something that's better than they have. And that's one of the reasons we don't just spend every Sunday preaching about hellfire and brimstone. There is a hell to shun. There's a heaven to gain. There is judgment. All of that is real. But we also know that the gospel is good news, which includes not only deliverance from that, but it includes the abundant life that's on the other side of that verse we quoted a while ago, John 10.10. The thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so I'm I'm as obligated to preach about the abundant life of God as I'm obligated to preach about the judgment upon sin. But we don't win a culture 
by becoming like the culture. Another thing we learn from this parable is there is a right place for everything that was lost. There was only one sheepfold that that sheep belonged in. One shepherd that that sheep would hear and follow. There was only one wedding, marriage, headband, if you want to call it, that that lost coin belonged in. And it had one place where it needed to be. And there is one place where each of us need to be in the kingdom of God. This boy didn't belong in the hog pen. This boy didn't belong in the far country. This boy didn't belong in the brothel. This boy didn't belong at the bar. This boy belonged in his father's house. And so, moving on with the story, after he gratified his flesh to the full and became broke financially, I remember one time, I was, I, years ago, I was in, in band. And uh, I remember we went on a, uh, a band trip and we, we did this parade in this uh, town in eastern Kentucky. And we marched and marched and played and played till my lips wore out. Because I, I played a trombone and I wasn't very good. But anyway, uh, I tried. But I just, we wore out. So finally we came back and we came back to the bus that we were riding. And I remember the bus driver was standing there. And somehow, I don't know how it got to be, but I remember uh, I, I, I mentioned that I didn't have any money. Because whatever money I'd taken, I'd already spent it. He said, you're financially embarrassed. <laughs> I've never forgotten that term. Financially embarrassed. Well, this boy was financially embarrassed. And when he had gratified his flesh and was financially embarrassed, morally embarrassed, he came to himself. I like that phrase. He came to himself. And that's the goal that we have for the prodigal, is that they come to themselves. I cannot make all that happen on my own. I can't get this job done. But the Holy Spirit can. And you need to pray over your lost loved ones that God would send Holy Ghost conviction upon them. They don't need to be happy while they sin. (laughs) Amen. They, They don't need to be satisfied as they gratify the lusts of their flesh. They need to be so unhappy that they must come back to God. That's where happiness is. That's where joy is. That's where peace is. That's where long life is. That's where prosperity is. That's where health is. It's in the presence of the Lord. There is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. And so he came to himself. We need to pray for that conviction. And we also need to pray for laborers to come across the pathway of these people. That's what Jesus said. Pray that laborers would come into the harvest. I mean, as much as we want them to hear us, there's a good chance they don't want to hear us right now. But there's somebody they will hear. There's somebody they will listen to. There's somebody that can get through to them. But down there in that far country, in the hog lot, he came to himself. And that's when repentance began. Repentance is change. There is no Real biblical repentance unless there's change. And the change first starts inside. The mind has to be changed and then the actions change. Full repentance is not just saying, I know it's wrong. Full repentance is not just saying, I'm very sorry, I've gotten caught. Full repentance is 
I know this is wrong and I know it grieves the heart of the Father. And so I'm going to stop living this way and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk in a totally opposite direction. And in this boy's case, it meant I'm going back to the house of my father. And I think it's interesting to note that he left saying, give me. He came back saying, make me. You know, that's how you know when people really have repented. Is when their true motivations surface. And true motivations surface primarily through how people speak. He was no longer this arrogant twit. Insulting his father. All about just himself. He was a repentant child saying, make me. Make me. Now the father, we can see in this story... Like the shepherd in the first story, and like the woman in the second story, this father must have been looking from his place, from where he lived, he must have looked because the Bible tells us that he saw him afar off. God's always looking. And there may be somebody listening to me today and you think, I went too far, this, is, this mess is too big. It just can't be fixed. It's more serious than being a, a slave of a pig farmer. I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other. Can I tell you that it doesn't matter? And this story helps us to see that picture because the son had memorized his speech. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And that's true. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And in a sense, yes, that's true too. But do you notice that the father never answered any of that? The father never said a word like, well, yeah, you are, you dirty dog. I'm going to put you on probation. If you can be good for six months, I may move you up from fat back to real bacon. You know, I, you know, I don't know. what. There was nothing like that. It was, it was like, from the father's uh, point of view, it was, it was like, I don't care what you just said. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to put a ring on your finger. We're going to give you some shoes. And we're going to give you some clothes that are worthy of being in this family. How did he do that? Because the father loved him when he was unlovable. When it seemed to be unlovable. When he was unlovely. The father loved him. And he had already decided what he would do. Love decides what you're going to do. Whether you're the father. And you're forgiving. Or whether you're the prodigal. And you decide I love the Lord more than I love the world. And the mess and all the other things. And you just surrender. You see because the aim is not retribution. The aim is restoration. That is the aim. It's not exacting punishment, but it's bringing someone to a place and a position of restoration. And so let me say this to those who might be on the, and you consider maybe you're more in the father's position than the son at this moment. You have to be willing to disregard the past. 
If you're going to show mercy and forgiveness, you will have to disregard. Now, notice I didn't say forget. Sometimes we say forgive and forget. Well, I want to tell you, if you've been thoroughly hurt, if you have been truly mistreated and you've truly been disrespected to the nth degree, as we say, then there is a real chance you're not going to forget that. But you do have to disregard that. That's something we all must learn. Because sometimes people say, well, I have to forget it. I can't. Well, God's not saying you have to forget it. Somebody says, well, God forgets. Well, he's God. Last time I smelled your breath, you weren't. No, I'm kidding. That was a bad joke. That was bad. Lord, forgive me. I know where that came from, and I shouldn't have done that. Um, I'm not God. You're not God. Look, somebody even gets up and leaves on us there when we say those kinds of things. <laughs> Give the man some Listerine. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here's the thing you've got to understand. You're not going to forget those, those major things, generally speaking. I don't mean you're going to dwell on them all the time, but it's not like you have the ability to delete the file. God does. Aren't you glad he does? He casts things in what he calls the sea of forgetfulness. Aren't you glad he can do that? But so what we have to do is we have to not dwell on it and we have to make sure that we disregard it. And that's what mercy and forgiveness is all about. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 5 in the Amplified Bible, it speaks of love and it says, love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It doesn't say love doesn't know that it happened. It doesn't say that love always brings with it amnesia. It says love pays no attention. You don't give it another thought. You don't dwell on it to a suffered wrong. So grace, God's grace, produces over-the-top blessings after true repentance has taken place. So that's how this this rebellious kid who had wasted all this money, who had messed his life up so much, this is how he got back to a place of full fellowship and blessing with his father. And if the story ended there, that's, that, that would be a great ending. Maybe if we were doing a movie, that would be a great place to end it. But the story doesn't end there, and it's important to take a couple minutes to look at the other brother because we can't forget there were two. You see, the older brother wasn't the prodigal that ran off with the money and spent it all on harlots and wine women and song, as we say, and all the rest. He, the older brother was the one who stayed home, but he had his own problems. And uh, so, as I've said before, you, you may identify more with the father. You might in, uh, identify somewhat with the prodigal. And then maybe... Some of us might have to identify somewhat with the older brother. Either way, we've got to get this worked out. Because the older brother had his own problems. Number one, he was a scorekeeper. He was, he was about his business, but he was about somebody else's business. The brother was works-oriented. It was all with him. It was about earning his place. It was about earning. It was about being worthy. It was almost like I'm going to get to the point where I've earned it and it's owed to me. 
Not only that, but the older brother was jealous. Because as soon as the younger brother came back and blessings began to come to him, he was, he was angry. He, I mean, he had temper issues. And, you know, we think about the younger brother disrespecting the father, saying basically, I wish you were dead. I need all my money. I want it now, and I'm leaving. We think about how disrespectful that was. But, you know, the older brother was disrespectful of the father in his own way. I mean, he talked to his dad like no kid should talk to their dad. And soon as this, your son came, all this, that, and the other that he said. And on top of the fact that he was a scorekeeper, he was works-oriented, he was jealous, he had temper issues, and he was disrespectful, he was not a good receiver. Look at all the blessings that he had passed by. His dad made it clear, you could have had any of this. But you never received it. And today I find it really interesting to note that this passage ends with the matter-of-fact way that the father responded to these boys. He said, I'll read verses 31 and 32 again. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. He's reassuring to the boy that you can have whatever you want of mine. And then he goes on to say, it was fitting, it was proper, it was the right thing to do that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So he just basically, with both sons, through the whole process of this, this story, I don't know exactly how long it took, but through the whole process of the story with both sons, the only way that the storyline changes is for the sons to change. And I want to leave you with that today because whatever area of life that is not working for you, as we might say, whatever area of life that you think has dealt you a bad hand, no matter who you think has done you wrong or what's going on in your life, the choice to walk in the fullness of the blessing of God has already been made by the Father. And the ball is now in your court. It's your choice. Are you going to repent if you need to? Or as in the case of the older brother, are you going to receive if you need to? Whatever the case may be, the Father stays the same. He loves you absolutely. He could not love you more. He loves you unconditionally. There is nothing you could ever do that would cause him not to love you. And he loves you eternally, forever. And that's the God that we serve today. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die. So <coughs> this dad in Luke 15 was a picture of a perfect father. I don't mean perfect in that he wasn't an actual human. I'm sure he made mistakes. But he showed such character and such, such a powerful picture. And so we have a perfect father. Yes. Have you thought about that? We're going to come and sing. Y'all get ready. Let's come. We're going to sing that, that song. It's, it's old now. It's been around a long time. We haven't sung it in many, many uh, months, I guess. But it's about the good, good father. 
And we're going to sing it right before we take communion this morning. And, and I just, I know this might be a little different, but I just want to ask you, if you need to repent about anything, if there's something that needs changed and you need to just say, God, forgive me, cleanse me by the blood of Jesus, forgive me. Then why don't you do that? While we're singing, just do that because that's really not my business. It's not everybody else's business. You didn't sin against us. You sinned against God. You just need to deal with Him. But let Him cleanse you afresh and anew. In a moment when we receive communion together, then you can receive those elements representing the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can receive all that He has for you. He loves you. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you failed to do that maybe you should have done. May I just say it this way? Join the crowd. We've all been there. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. The blood of Jesus is more than enough. So let's sing.